I'm Carlo, Carlo Pietro Sanfilippo, and this is my podcast. With this project, I want to explore the means, methods, tools, and examples of living on purpose, living the life we want, doing the things that light us up, things that make us feel like we're alive, growing, making a difference, and enjoying the process along the way. Welcome to It's the Journey. Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of It's the Journey. I'm super excited to have my guest today with me, BJ Lang. Um, as you know, like the last few episodes, I've found this thread where I've been, I've, had, I've been bringing guests on that have interesting and fun stories to tell, but also tools that, that they've been using either different parts of their lives and specifically through what we're all living through collectively, this, what, I've, what I've started calling this grand timeout. And I know BJ's got some awesome stories uh, to tell and and tools to share that that I'm excited to learn more about and excited for uh, for to share with you. So um, I've known BJ for about seven years through improv. We started the first time I met him. We took an improv workshop with him through our mutual friend Mike McGuire, and then we've actually had the actually had the the honor and, and joy of getting to to perform with with BJ on stage at the uh, for comedy sports STL, which was so fun. Uh, BJ just has this passion and joy for comedy, improv, teaching, and it's just this obvious, infectious sense of fun that he has. And when you, when you see the list of stuff that he's done over the years, it's this huge fun thing, but he, he, doesn't, he doesn't walk in the room with the ego and like, boom, here's my resume. He just, he's just out there doing his thing, yes ending, having fun, following the fun, Doing all the living a lot of these, a lot of the things of, that I things and lessons I took from improv that I wrote about in my book. So um, I'm super excited to to dive in uh, to, to his story. And with that, let's meet BJ. BJ, welcome. Hey, Carlo. First of all, I just want to say uh, thank you so much for paying attention to the rider that I put in the contract to do the episode. The green room with those crab cakes were amazing. They were so good. Yeah, I know. You really went above and beyond. Those are great. Spare no expense, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have no ego like you said, but I really appreciate those green M&Ms and those Maryland crab cakes that you brought in here fresh wow yeah yeah no you really took care of your yeah (laughs) well getting them to getting them to la wasn't easy you know like (laughs) same day (laughs) that's true that's true uh you know uh so i'll give uh, people a little taste of like broadly what you do i pulled this off of uh i think facebook where it says no boy bj is an actor comedian host cancer survivor speaker pilot usaf USAF medic slash veteran and professional dumbass. Correct. <laughs> I, I think that pretty much. Yeah. Well, you know how it is. You know how it is, Carlo, in the in the artist world, and uh, you know people that are um, you know that are trying to do their own thing, and you become a multi hyphenate, and that's really. I will say, as an actor in Los Angeles, that's a problem that a lot of us have that. It's good that we diversify, but then like, you know, it's, it, it's just, it can be a headache sometimes and, and an identity crisis. But yes, 
Those are all of my things and I'm available to do any of those if you're looking to hire somebody. Perfect. And I know you'll do them all like excellently and with joy and, and humility and fun. Uh, so, yeah. you're, so let's talk about, let's talk about, you know, in broad sense, your journey. So you're in LA now, but you started off, I, I did, I met you before I actually knew that you grew up with one of my cousins. Correct. Yeah, which, that's right. Which I, is so funny. I, well, Carlo, I grew up in North St. Louis. Uh, I'm a Riverview Gardens, uh, graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I graduated high school in 99. I, uh, did a high school, you know, theater and, um, improv just after high school uh at the uh, at the community college i really started dabbling into uh doing more community theater and things like that i knew that eventually i wanted to get into entertainment and i knew that comedy was kind of you know my forte and that what i truly loved but i really wanted to encompass everything um in the performance world uh, really, really, you know, in theater and then eventually film and TV. Um, and then I found myself working for the Stephen DC Morning Show, which was nationally syndicated out of St. Louis. So we were in, at the time I worked for the show, I think we were in like 32 states. We were the like wow. sixth largest syndicated morning radio program, Arbitron rated uh, number one for women, 18 to 40. Um, so, you know, it, and it was great that I was like the stunt boy, but I wanted to get into film and TV. I mean, that really helped me in my improv chops and performance and stuff like that. And eventually I find myself doing uh, this random theater stuff. And, you know, eventually I find my way out to Los Angeles. But that was quite the journey as I eventually transitioned out here. Did, uh, when you when you dove in and start doing that, did you always have this sense of like fearlessness with what you're doing? Or was this, was that, was that scary to start to say yes to that? <laughs> well, I, you know, uh, I guess because I, I worked for the morning show and one of the requirements for me to be the stunt boy on the show was you have to do whatever they tell you to. If you're live on the air, like you're, you're just a repeater, right? So like, you know, in a lot of regards, I was like a, my own hidden camera show. So that helped me, but I guess I should preface this with, I took my dad's personality as a kid and really multiplied it into who I am. You know, my dad's very outgoing, enthusiastic. He's He's been in sales all of his life. Um, you know, he's always the life of the party, loves to engage in conversation and connect with people. And that was really a big thing for me. Um, so when I eventually got the opportunity to shine, it just, it fit within my wheelhouse to be able to do this. Uh-huh. But I kept, I kept finding myself doing all these like awkward you know, side things that weren't really what I felt, what I felt I should be doing, which is more, you know, film and TV, commercial, that that kind of work. Um, I knew eventually, like, when I found my way into doing improv, that this was like my highway, mm-hmm. you know, that I wanted to stay on and then just get off at different exits to do different things. Um, but even but even then, I, I I always question myself saying, oh, I keep doing all this comedy. And at this point, I was doing a lot of hosting work and I wanted to do more dramatic. I wanted to be more like I am an actor. I want to do more. But then again, as I'm getting older, I'm like, you know what? I really need to kind of focus on those things that I not only enjoy, but that I feel that I'm decent at instead of like, you know, banging my head harder, trying to get more dramatic stuff like those things will come. Uh-huh. And you know, focus on the other things too. Okay. Okay. So then, did you discover 
improv in St. Louis or was that a, was that a California thing? Yeah, 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 uh, in St. Louis. So I knew about improv. Now listen, everybody, and I know you're an improviser as well, and I would imagine a lot of your, your audiences as well, um, most people, especially if they don't live in a big city or that have um, the ability to get out and see these you know, wonderful theaters, are familiar with stand-up comedy. So initially, I thought for the longest time I really wanted to go into stand-up. Okay. And I did do some stand-up. Um, and, I, and I still do occasionally. Like, I have a tight five, you know, that I could that Like I, an open I could mic or something. Out. Exactly. But, that re- but th- it really never concreted itself into my focus, especially once I found improv. Like, I just, my roots just kind of went out, and that was, that was my foundation. Um, so, so I studied at, uh, at COCA in St. Louis, uh, the center of creative arts, uh, which I believe they actually changed the name. So I'm not exactly sure how that is, but I started there. I did an improv class at St. Louis community college. Uh, and then what really was the start. And I think a lot of people, uh, that know me and that knew me around that time, uh, as well as St. Louisans who, uh, are familiar with the improv trick, mm-hmm. um, when Bill Cott brought, um, you know, the improv trick to St. Louis, that was really my foundations. Like I had farted around with friends who performed uh, at City Improv and I knew it, but I wasn't really involved other than being an audience member. But when I started taking classes serious and went through the program at the improv trick, uh, that, that sealed my fate, my friend. And then when I moved out to Los Angeles, I ended up doing I.O. West and graduating there and working there, um, the Second City, and then Upright Citizens Brigade, all of those places I graduated from. And then I currently teach at the Second City. I lead their improv for veterans program. I teach kids like I'll be teaching tomorrow. And then I teach adults as well. That's so cool. And, you know, for for people that aren't familiar with improv, you know, the I.O., the I.O. theaters out of, you know, Chicago and L.A., are they in New York also or just Chicago, L.A.? Yeah, I'm, I, you know, we should probably say, may I.O. rest in peace. That's right. Not, That's right. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. And then UCB, Upright Citizens Brigade, Amy Poehler, Matt Besser, uh, Ian Roberts, Matt Walsh, that is in New York. They don't have any theaters currently. They have zero. Uh, because of their. Okay. Right. I, I mean, like they sold their property. Oh, really? They are closed. Yes. So uh, in the Los Angeles, UCB Los Angeles, uh, they have. They had a big property on Sunset. Unfortunately, that is no longer in operation, but they still have the one on Franklin. But who knows? Hopefully, as things start open back up, you know, they'll be able to rent theater space elsewhere. And yeah, you, I, I don't think UCB is going anywhere, but that is a real big hitter as far as New York and LA is concerned, certainly within, you know, the film and TV world of actors and people that really want to focus on comedy. You know, UCB was a big name. And as you mentioned, coming out of Chicago, the second city, you know, that, that is like the, the Mecca, the Godfather, that is the originator of what we now know of as, you know, improv. That Mm -hmm. is, you know, how everything kind of started out of that second city, then IO, then UCB, then out here, you also have Groundlings. And I studied at Groundlings in Los Angeles too. Okay. Um, Haven't finished that yet. Okay. You know, and this, yeah, for people that aren't familiar with it, that's, yeah, that really is the major leagues and the talent level. If you've seen, if you happen to have seen a show here in St. Louis and then you get to one of the, you know, LA, Chicago, New York, and you see something there, every time I see one of those shows, I, I 
ask myself, what am I, what am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> They're just, the talent level is inspi- it's inspiring. It doesn't really, it doesn't deflate me. It inspires me like, wow, that, that's a possibility and that's exciting. And it's cool that you've, you've been through pieces of all those and it's really neat. Yeah. Uh, you know, let's hope that it, it amounts to something. It yeah. amounts to it in my heart. Yeah. 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 I, I felt, you know, in regards to what St. Louis now knows uh, of improv with the improv shop, you know, I moved out of town before they opened up uh, and I, and I had done two shows there and I, you know, obviously I, a lot of, you know, it's a small world in the improv community in St. Louis. So uh, whenever I try to come into town, I try to get connected there because now that is the, the main stage uh, for St. Louis, as far as, you know, certainly long form improv, uh, you know, in a more dedicated community. Mm-hmm. So, hey, if I'm in town and you're over at the improv shop and you want to play or whatever, yeah, like, let's do this. Absolutely. You know, it's always fun. I can't wait. I can't wait. I remember the our last show in February because I've been on the, the long form team, Scotty, the Herald team. Mm-hmm. And we all looked at each other like, well, we might not see each other for a little while. And it didn't, didn't know, you know, it's 13 months and counting, you know. So, um, but I look forward to, I look forward to all that opening back up again and getting to be on stage and see my friends and have fun. Absolutely. Carlo, yeah. are you doing, have you been doing stuff online? You know, there's so many opportunities now doing things online. Mm-hmm. You know, I really haven't. Um, I, I, I paused with everything and um, I had started writing my book last, I, I finished the draft last year at the end of the year. Uh, I say la- when I say last year, I mean 2019. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I finished the draft in 2019, and then my editor got it back to me at the beginning of 2020. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna start working on this. And then then COVID hit, and it kind of just threw it kind of just threw me off center for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of caught my breath, and you know, middle middle of the mid, mid to late spring, I started working on it again. And finished it by August or so, as far as what I had to do, and then the editing process and the picking the cover and all the stuff that goes in with that. Then, so by December, it was done, done. Uh, and then I circled back to this. I, I originally wanted to do a podcast, but I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't figure out my focus, so I wrote. I wrote a book first. <laughs> so, um, so that's been where I've been. That's what's helped me. That's where I've been putting my creative energy. Is this this project? Absolutely. Well, there's a lot of online stuff. Obviously, I was doing a lot of shows with Comedy Sports St. Louis, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for the longest time. I'm still on and off with them. But I mean, when the pandemic hit and we started going online, I I was playing every Friday and Saturday night here on top of teaching at the Second City, teaching in the Air Force's Wounded Warrior program and doing shows, you know, there. So it got, I I, I actually kind of got burnt out for a minute. And it kind of had to take a break. I can imagine. So um, let's talk about your experience with the Air Force. Because all I've known, I've only known that from the outside. I don't know when you yeah. joined and how that went. And so, and, and it's so cool that you're now, it's fun when you can bring your world, your colliding world. Like. <laughs> exactly. No, that, hey, that, you know, that's, uh, that I think as, as I'm getting older, I just turned 41 it is kind of fun to see the things that I was dabbling in before and seeing how not only am I diversifying what I'm doing as an artist, but I'm, I'm seeing these things kind of meld together. Uh, and, and, and I will back up, you know, to, to answer your question, but 
as an example of that, not only am I now teaching as the comedy coach for the Air Force's Wounded Warrior program, which is really, truly my heart and soul, uh, but even with my experience and the things that I learned as a medic in the Air Force, I'm using that in my acting career, working as like a med tech on set or you know, subject matter expert in film and TV to be able to bring that truth to these characters that I'm playing awesome. and have had the opportunity to work a lot on 911 on Fox. So, cool. um, and that's, and that's been a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, my, my air force career is not exactly what I was hoping it was going to be. Um, I always wanted to enlist. Uh, it was my goal to be a public affairs officer that's, you know, what my background was in Civil Air Patrol. So I've been in Civil Air Patrol uh, since 2006 when I was taking private pilot lessons in St. Charles, Missouri, um, and joined Civil Air Patrol, um, worked my way up to air crew, was doing public affairs, which is totally, you know, within both you and I. That's our, that's our wheelhouse, you know, dealing with the media, doing press releases, uh, running social media you know, that kind of stuff, engagement with the community. Um, and then eventually I moved out to Los Angeles, but I kept looking over my shoulder as I was getting older, wishing that I would have enlisted into the military. Like I was wearing a similar uniform. I was doing missions and things that were helping a lot of people, but I, I just kept wishing, you know, because my brother's a Marine, uh, my uncles are Marines, my stepfather's retired army, my grandfather's a World War II veteran, both Navy and Army. Wow. So, you know, I, 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 and they say the military is a family business. And as I was getting older, I was like, am I, am I actually going to do something that like, I, that was going to challenge myself? Well, I knew that I couldn't go full time because I'm an actor and I was living in Los Angeles and this is my life. This is what I want to do. But part time, I can serve in the guard or the reserve. So I eventually found myself enlisting into the Air Force Reserve with the hopes of eventually crossing over, getting commissioned. I was old at that point. I enlisted at 35 and it was hard to get a commission at that point. So when I enlist, enlisted, um, they had told me, they had told, of course, this is what they always tell you, but you know, get in and get connected. And then when you come back from your training, put in a package to see if you can't switch over and, and do that. Little did I know that I would absolutely positively fall in love with being a medic and the things that I learned. Um, of course, as we both know, um, it didn't quite work out that way. Uh, in the middle of my medic training, I ended up getting a testicular cancer diagnosis. I had surgery uh, at the end of 2015 to remove my left testicle, which of course was cancerous. So I underwent chemotherapy. Uh, as if that wasn't challenging enough. And by the way, I still, I wanted to stay in it. You know, I said, no, please don't kick me out. I want to follow through with this and finish my training. Um, I ended up going to do my clinical rotations and months later I got put through a medical evaluation board because unfortunately being diagnosed with cancer, like that could be a potential problem. And, um, so I did graduate my medic program. I did my clinical rotations. And literally days before I was to fly back home, after the completion of my phase two of my program, they put me through this med board and I was put on temporary medical retirement. So I have just over a year total in service. Uh, that's active duty time, that not talking about my reserve time. Um, and 
that was a three-year mission um, of me being on temporary medical retirement. So here I am now on temporary medical retirement, returning back to Los Angeles to my full-time regularly scheduled life and um, you know, trying to one, figure out the VA system, two, what's this new health issue that I have? Three, I'm like a veteran. That's weird as hell. Um, so I'm, I'm doing my regular thing. And then the next year, July of 2017, my cancer relapsed into my lymphatic system. So I had to go through radiation treatments. I got really sick. I was super scared. I was very depressed. I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought I was going to die. Um, but, you know, I had to keep pushing on and yes, anding everything and saying it's okay. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to find my way through. I was enrolled in the Air Force's Wounded Warrior Program. That was unbelievably helpful for me uh, in my recovery, not only because I was doing adaptive sports, but I'm connecting with fellow wounded, ill, and injured service members who understand what it's like to not only lose your identity because of your diagnosis, but uh, people who, all, all the other things, the military medical system, and right. I mean, just, just, just so many things. And it was in that program that I, that I met the uh, resiliency instructor at that time, the program manager for the resiliency program, uh, Dr. Aaron Moffitt, and who's a psych psychologist. Um, and he said, you know, oh, you teach improv and, you know, cause they had arts and healing arts and music and all these great things that they already had established uh, as part of a separate program, the wellness and resiliency program outside of adaptive sports. And I had become an ambassador and a mentor in the program. And so just so that your listeners understand, like the military would put me on orders as a retiree to go for a week and do these adaptive sports camps or be a, do the ambassador training to be able to share my story to other, you know, uh, military members so that they understand that it, there's more than just, you know, what we do in the military, things happen. Uh, but I found my, I found my purpose there, not going around in a, in a wheelchair playing wheelchair basketball, which is fun as hell, by the way. Yeah. But by, uh, going into their resiliency program at night. And at that time they were teaching stand-up comedy as, as a, as a healing art, you know, and learning how to share your story with comedy. Uh, they had music rock to recovery, the former lead guitarist of corn, uh, West gear West runs a nonprofit called rock to recovery. And they come out with these professional musicians. And, and in a, in a week, you learn how to create a song together. Like it's amazing. Wow. And they were doing, they were doing creative writing and they do painting. And so there's all these things. And one of them was comedy. And then when the, when Dr. Moffat found out what I do at second city, which of course he had heard of, he goes, Hey, have you ever thought about, you know, teaching it for healing? And I went, I already have the curriculum. please." <laughs> so, so Dr. Moffitt goes, well, let's, let's have, let's give you an, let's give you an audition. So in 2018, after being in the program for about a year and a half, um, you know, as an attendee, as an athlete, and then ambassador and a mentor, I did an, I did a, an audition as like a sample class, one of the evenings and invited mm -hmm. people to come try it out. Just blew up. It nice. just, it went huge. So I eventually got a defense contract. And I'm now I'm teaching, uh, doing this. And le so let's be clear here that we're not talking about 
performance improv like you would see on Whose Line Is It Anyway, or if you go to IO or Second City or UCB or your college improv team, it's not about the show. It's about it's what we call applied improv. So um, learning the benefits and skills of improv for non-performance reasons. In this case, focusing on resiliency. So the life skills that we get, problem solving, listening, thinking outside the box, connecting, trust, awesome. you know, all of these tenets of improv that we all know are there, but most of us that do it for a living use it for the performance side. So um, I developed what we call improv to improve and put together these mini teams and we do little shows and uh, it is absolutely amazing. So uh, I will tell you that back in August, after being on temporary medical retirement for three and a half years, I finally got permanently medically retired from the Air Force. Uh, so it's really weird to say because I retired as an E3, what we call an airman first class. Um, you know, most people do 20 years and they retire. Uh, I was medically retired due to my diagnoses and some other things, unfortunately, that were part of that. Yeah. Um, and so, so there you go. Well, <clears throat> there's so many, there's so many fun, not, there's so many great lessons there that really some a lot of them are kind of parallel to some of the stuff I went through in my book that I wrote about that but one of them that's important that I want people to I want to I want to reinforce is that that you you just kept having that thing called you I, I I want to be in the air force I want to serve my family served and you listen to that and but and by listening to that even though even though this other thing happened it's led you to this other thing that you're, I'm, I'm sure you're great at it. I know, I know it just from being in the, the, the improv that's just for adults that want to play make believe. I had a blast. And I know that your, the spirit and enthusiasm and lessons you bring to people that are struggling is a valuable, amazing, life enhancing thing for, for them and, and for you, for your, for your purpose. Um, so that's something I want to just make sure that we capture. Yeah. There are so many great things about it, I, and I know, I mean, we could literally do five hours of just talking about improv, applied improv, the benefits of it and all that stuff. Um, and, and you're right. I'm glad I did listen to that voice in the back of my head that said, you got to do it because I didn't want to, I didn't want to look back later in life and go, oh, I sure wish I would have. At exactly. least I tried. Yes. And I will be honest with you. This is still a very hard very raw feeling that I have because people do talk shit on my, you know, service, you know, because they don't understand what happened to me. Yeah. People, uh, you know, and, and it's something that I personally have to deal with too, because there's a part of me that also isn't satisfied with what happened to me. I understand it wasn't my fault, you know, uh, but I didn't get to do what I wanted to do. And that, that will always be with me. And it's something that I always have to struggle with. And, you know, that I think about, but I, but as I, as I try to step back for a minute and look in at what happened as this happens in a lot of ways in my life, um, you know, they say one door closes, another one opens. Uh, it's, it's just the hallway for me. That's a pain in the ass. Yes. So, so, um, you know, as I step back and I, and I look forward, I'm able to see, okay, Hey, this didn't work out, but you're still able to use your military experience your desire to serve and help people, you know, more than just a person, like as a medic, as I would say, right? Like the, the, the service that we would have as a medic, I'm able to pull that out with my improv skills mm -hmm. 
and and help people in this way. And I mean, I listen, I could share so many great stories of the things that I've seen out of people uh, who have come and, and, and participated in the improv. And that's an evolutionary thing as people are still coming. But um, one quick nugget, I had a, uh, a friend of mine who was in the program. I met her in 2019. She came to my 40th birthday party unexpected and got up in front of everyone. These, because I had a roast and these were all comedians busting my chops. And she was not there to bust my chops. She was there to stop in the middle and say, Hey, I want to put my name in. I want to share my story. And she told the story about how she met me and came into the program and how, how I helped save her life wow. through improv. And that, listen, that is the, that is the best thing that you could ever ask for as someone who has a heart to not only serve, but the heart to share our yeah. art with other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, again, if somebody, <laughs> we, we, this could be a 10 hour episode if we were careful. So you mentioned vulnerability and it's hard to share. And so like, that was one thing in my book, people have commented about my openness and for me, I know imp improv helped me with that. Im you know, like the whole like I, I didn't I didn't go into improv and get into a, an applied improv uh, courses, but I went into it in, after a period. I don't know if I told you, like I don't know if you know this, but like it was a period right after my parents had died and I got divorced and I was healing and I was going to therapy and I was working with coaches. So I I was in this period of like I was very open. And in this intentional growth, and then the lessons were there, weren't really being talked about, but I picked them up, picked up on them, and they helped me. And so, <clears throat> one, I, I think the byproducts of of what happens when we study and perform improv in a creative, collaborative community. I think these are these things that, like, yeah, you you didn't go into a class and, and they're going to say, all right, guys, we're going to work on therapy and like, we're exactly. going to help Carlo. No, but th that's what happens yes. to a lot of people. Yeah. Another thing I want to I say, I appreciate in you, like <clears throat> you said, you said earlier that, you know, that, that, that it was, what you went through was scary. It was, you, you know, you, you, I, I thought I was going to die. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a big thing, right? It's a huge, so just, you know, but sometimes people see from the outside and you, they see this, you know, right. enthusiastic, energetic, happy. Uh, so like, oh, well, he's just, he's just got, that's just his personality. It's like, you do, you do, you were scared and in this, doing this uh, training is vulnerable and scary, but you do it anyway. Yeah. And Carlo, if, if, if anybody wants to get a deeper understanding of like what that was like for me in a quick seven minute snapshot, in 2019, I was asked to speak at the Tower Cancer Research Foundation's uh, a Gala of Hope. It's on YouTube. Okay. I ask, I ask that you just check out that video. And I am very open about the depression, anxiety, uh, the PTSD, uh, and all of that, that that came from my journey. Uh, and you are right. Like, people see this, right? Like, even people in my family, because I, listen, I'm a public figure it in a way. I don't mean that, you know, very snidely or obviously, yeah. but you know, I, but all of my Facebook and stuff is open because like I have nothing to hide. Uh, and I tried to, I was trying to be an inspiration for people, but of course I was struggling and I still continue to struggle. Yeah. Right. Like 
that's it's evolutionary. And that's so. I will definitely add that uh, there'll be a. I'll have show notes, and so I'll, I'll definitely put the video on there. Cool. Um, but I think that's that's an important for people to hear because like this project I'm doing right now is to help me deal with this this. This, the stress and the frustration and the sadness and the that I of all the things I can't do or that this is tough and scary. I'm I'm pouring some of it. I'm pouring my anxiety or or sphere into something that I that I'm hoping is helpful. Uh, but I've I've had I've had people comment that because I'm doing this that I'm I'm all okay and I don't have their problems and I, we all have different things right and so like and i've had periods where i couldn't do anything and i was just sad or depressed or whatever right and and i you know for me i'll just play too many video games and just die sure. <laughs> you know? yeah um but i think this i'm grateful yeah i'm grateful that i could do whatever 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 it was in me that allowed me to like do the stuff I needed to do. And it's, I think it's a great message hearing you say that too. Like you were scared and you were depressed and you were sad. And you mentioned some of the resources that the the military provided you, the therapist and psychologist. And I sought those out on my own. And that was a big, I wrote whole chapters about that in my book of like, because some people are part of organizations that offer that. College students have access to therapists, but I know many people don't either don't know it or don't access it. Um, there's probably a lot of people in the military that don't take advantage of those resources. So, it, Carlo, that's a, a very uh, this is this is the stigma. All right, here we are, two men who are talking about, and and I know you fairly well and know your your nature <clears throat> and how you you know who you are as a person. Um, you're very much like me. We are Midwestern folks who. Uh, I got to go to work, focus on the work, do the work. Uh, don't worry about that sissy shit, you know, and there, a lot of that mentality is something that needs to be broken up. Mm -hmm. I know it's been said a million times by a million different people, but it's even harder in the military because one, you don't want to lose your job in the military. Yeah. Uh, I mean, getting kicked out or whatever, or two you don't want to lose your duty assignment. Like in my case, as a medic, I had nerve damage and hearing loss uh, because of the radiation and the chemotherapy, which would have affected me in order to be uh, qualified to do aeromedical evacuation because I, you know, I lost some of my high pitch hair. So like, you know, people don't want to report. And then two, if you've never been to a therapist or you've never been to mental health, God forbid somebody in your chain of command or whatever hears that you're going to do, you know, and they're, and they're breaking that stim, uh, you know, stigma up, but it still exists in our society as a whole. Yes. Uh, personally, I'm going to say this. I think everybody should talk to a therapist. Yep. Uh, and there should be no shame in that. And if I owned a company, I would absolutely give those mental health days and maybe I would even have somebody on staff or, Whatever, yeah, you know that's so helpful. I'm so glad. it's great hearing you say that. And just the, me, the the vulnerability of me being open. Once I started going, I start having other people go. Yeah, I go too, or I've been, or or it was like, and I didn't know anybody that went before me. And I was forty something years old before the first time I stepped in there. And then once I really understood what it was, I'm like, this is this is profound. 
I'm I'm really learning. I'm learning a lot about myself or why why this always bothered me or why this happened or whatever. And and so I tried to be very very even before I wrote the book, I was open and honest about it. Just because even for my kids, I want them to know like, hey man, if your knee hurts, you go to the doctor. And if you you've got these other issues, you go to the doctor. And there's no stigma to it. It's not weakness. It's it's part of personal growth. And it doesn't have to be during a period of of crisis either. I've learned the most about myself when I've gone just to kind of check in on like, why does this one thing still bother me every now and then? Or why do I, you know? Yeah. uh, I mean, how, what all do you learn, you know, when you go and there's many different types of therapists out there. There's many different types of modalities of ways to help you with your issues. For me, the biggest thing that jumped out at me was when I spoke, I went to the VA at the suggestion of my uh, primary care provider. I went, I went to mental health and first of all, I was scared. As we already said, you know, I was, I, I felt like, ah, I don't belong here. I'm fine. Um, and, and, and if you listen to my speech on YouTube, you'll, you'll hear a little bit more in detail about what, what the outcome was, but sitting down and talking to, uh, this, uh, psychologist who specialized in chronic illness, chronic pain, um, who understood a lot of the thoughts that I was having, having, and then we did cognitive behavioral therapy training and uh, unwanted thoughts. That was my big thing. These these thoughts that, like, t- two years ago, I would have never have told myself, you know, that uh, you're broken, you're a piece of shit, uh, you're sick, your friends don't want to see. I would have never have told myself that because I was a happy-go-lucky. You know what? I'll even be this guy here. I'm going to tell you this because I guarantee there's some listener out there who doesn't have the life experience to think otherwise. But Carlo, I used to be the guy who would say, what do you mean you're sad? Just make yourself happy. Yes. Make yourself happy. Yeah. There's because a, we're comedians. Yeah. We're, we're, we're entertainers. We're supposed to be the fun. Mm-hmm. You see that? I see that kind of shit floating around on social media of uh, you're only as happy as you decide to be. Or, you know, I, I, I wrote about that in the book. I like this. I read all the positive thinking stuff of it's to be, it's up to me. And, you know, I just fake it till you make it. And I just, and I pushed myself through a lot of pain with that stuff, but it, I never healed either. Uh, it's just, you're just pushing, you're pushing the pain down into the cellars and it's all, it's all still there. Like a bunch of bodies <laughs> you know? like and then when a period of crisis comes up all that stuff comes to the surface like splinters right carlo i got two i got a, two questions for you yeah uh it, it, you know hearing you talk about this and this is something that i think when people really understand it it gives them a, a better picture of what we have been through uh my first question is uh, how do you use okay do you feel as let me preface it with this do you feel as an artist, as a comedian, that you have a responsibility to be the fun, right? And that, that's that added pressure of, I can't let people see me like this, you know, and then we get into the whole discussion of like Robin Williams and like, you know, cause you gotta, you have to be this, but then two, and this is really what helped me helping other people's help helps myself, but how do you use comedy to help battle that adversity? Like obviously, and, and I know because you comment on a lot of my Facebook stuff about, you know, how I crack jokes about 
living life with one nut, but that's my way of battling, yeah. you know, testicular cancer and the adversity that I feel. So do you feel that pressure and how do you use comedy? Um, I don't know that I feel that pressure is it because, because improv for me has been, it's not such a central part of my life. It's, it's like a social, yeah. a social thing that I do that's fun. Um, but it's, it's not as much, my whole life, it wasn't as much as about having to be fun or funny. It was having to be strong and solid, you know, as like, uh, the oldest son with a divorced mom. And my, my sister was older than me, but she moved out when she was 18 and I was nine. So then I was like, my, it was my mom and brother and I. So like I had to be, I had to help take care of my little brother. Head and then, of the household. Yeah. yeah. And then I was a father at a young age. So then all of a sudden, you know, I've got these kids and I, I've, I'm 24 and I got to figure out, I felt like I was, you know, I was a financial planner. I felt like I was, I felt like I was faking it for 10 years. Like, cause you're <laughs> yeah. working with 60 year olds and I'm 24 and I'm like, well, you know, if you got this million dollar tax and, and I, you know, I just barely learned the things myself. So it was more, it was not quite the same as what you're talking about, but I, I, I felt like I had to be this solid rock and therapy and, and really improv mm -hmm. helped me tap into more, um, vulnerability that's true yeah yeah so but but have you found yourself using maybe even the skills of i for sure improv because i'm a nerd and i want to hear you talk about that but i mean just comedy in general to or to find a way to have laughter about the things that are happening like for me it was a big self-defense mechanism mm -hmm. you know using comedy as a, a way to like block away but then I try to use it as a cathartic tool. Yeah, it's not easy, but you know, yeah. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't know, I don't know that as a. I don't know that that was as big of a part of it for me as far in terms of like being an entertainer. I think, I think, uh, I, I tend to, I tend to um, retreat back into myself mm -hmm. more than uh, going outward. You know. Ah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. No, it, but the, the lessons, you know, the lessons and then learning to be vulnerable and learning to speak my truth. Uh, I wrote, you know, I've had some profound experiences in my life because I, you know, learning to say yes on stage and be vulnerable on stage allowed me to do that more off stage. And then you get a little bit comfortable with it. You mentioned doors and hallways, you know, um, my boss, when I was, 20 something years old told me and he didn't he had knew nothing about improv he goes carlo when you say yes to something it's like a, a door opens up and you see 10 other doors you didn't know that existed and opens up opportunities you know and so yeah you know for you saying yes to that thing that kept calling you to the air force opened up your training and then you you would have been in the cancer experience either way but then now you're getting to to, to share this passion and help other people heal yeah and for that ladies that spoke to you, I bet you there's a scores that that you won't hear from because maybe you just don't run into them again, or right. they're not open, or they're you know that. So you're doing you're doing the work, man, and it's I'm I'm proud of you. Yeah, I still feel like I'm. Thank you. Uh, I still, although I'm not able to put my uniform on anymore, like I want to do and serve as a medic. 
I'm still able to put on this improv uniform and, you know, execute my duty mm-hmm. uh, by teaching improv, which is, and, and let me show you this. This is just for you personally, because I, I, obviously your listeners won't be able to hear it, but you could tell them. I'm going to turn my virtual backdrop off just for a second. And okay. I just want you to look at what's right above my kitchen. Can you see that? Yep. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And. <laughs> but there, you know what you know what is it about saying yes and right and like that gets into the whole applied you know the deeper meanings of how we can use stuff that's happening to us to just accept and move forward and you know but the question is how do we do that right mm-hmm. so yeah, it, yeah. It, and it opens up i'm doing a storyteller class with uh you know steve steve horowitz yeah so campfire yeah. um and I said yes to, there's a long story that got to this, but I said yes to learning Italian and diving into that side of my family's heritage and then found myself at one point in Rome with my Italian teacher and ended up discovering my passion for this artist Caravaggio. And because of that, then I started studying this guy's life. And I just, and I, because of all that, I learned, uh, my grandmother had tried to tell us this story one time about why she called my brother, my brother's name is Mark, and she always called him Michael. And she always was like, we would say, she'd say, hi, Carlo, hi, Michael. And we never knew why she called him Michael. So she was 70 when I was born. So by the time I was older, she was 80-something, right? And I thought, right. I, I didn't know. I, she, she spoke broken English and Sicilian. I, did, I had no idea a lot of what she was saying. So one day, one day we were getting to leave her house, and she's standing there with her walker, and she's, let me tell you why his name is a Michael. And she told us some story about St. Michael and the sword. And I didn't understand enough of it. So then when she got to the end and said, and that's how I know his name is a Michael. And we didn't, still didn't understand why. So fast forward three decades later, I'm in Rome. I see this Caravaggio painting. And then I come home and I start studying everything about this artist. Well, Caravaggio was this guy's nickname. He was from, he was born in a town called Caravaggio. His name was Mike. Michelangelo Marisi. And he was called Michelangelo because he was born on September 29th, which is the festival of San Miguel, the Archangel. My brother's born on September 29th. And that's, she's this, I, I almost drove off the road because 30 years after she, almost 30 years after she was gone, I finally solved this mystery because of a series of about 30 yes ands. 30 yes ands that said, okay, I'm going to study Italian. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to hire a teacher. Okay, I'm going to go to Rome. Oh, I'm going to ask my teacher if she wants to get together. And, we'll, and she showed me around Rome. And she's like, hey, let's go into this church. And there's this painting. And I fall in love with that. You don't know, right, where you're going to go with those. Carlo, the whole thing, the whole takeaway here is you need to eat more fish because you could have got that a lot faster. But I wouldn't have connected the dates, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's an awesome story, man. That's a, and, and I just want to know because I've never been to Italy. Uh, you know, how much how much weight did you gain? Funny thing, I've always lost weight when I went over there, even what? though I ate crazy things I normally don't eat because I walk so much. I walk. There's I when here's the thing, like when you're when you're not. When you're when you're not hungry, there's a billion amazing things to see, and you want to see them all, right? And then all of a sudden, you're there's a, a little part of your brain that says, "I'm hungry," and then I get happy because I'm like, I don't know where I'm going to eat, but it's going to be amazing. 
And it's the adventure. It's the adventure. I love that. Yeah. Yes. I mean, one day in uh, in Venice, we walked 17 miles. 17 wow. miles. And I was just like, because I just happened to look at my phone at the end of the day because I'm like, my feet kind of hurt. <laughs> I was like, oh. So, so now maybe if I... Uh, if I lived over there long enough, where the if the newness wore off, I might gain weight. But uh, so far, <laughs> so far, so far, I've been all right. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, yeah, that 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 there's. I'm I'm so excited that you shared all these stories. Yeah, that that uh, um, you said yes to this thing and it pulled you to this world, and then this 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 you know bad thing happened, but then it led you to this other other way to serve that. Is far beyond just you know. There's a there's a there's a lots and lots of air medics, right? But there's not everybody that can teach people yep. what you're teaching them, help them go through what you're going through. And you and you wouldn't have understood all that had you not gone through all those things. In the same That's way. That's true. And it, it you know, it, it started multiplying. And of course, at the end of the day, I'm an actor. I want to do film and TV and commercial, and I love improv and all that stuff. But my side hustle is now teaching this applied improv and not only for the air force wounded warrior program, but now I'm able to teach for any federal agency and not just for resiliency, but you know, professional development and things like that. My friend started a nonprofit called mission warriors. So now we're going to open up to other branches of the military. Uh, you know, I'm serving on the board with that and we're getting connected there. So it's just, it's weird how it all kind of, I love it. Kind of worked out. I love it. And it's just, it's, it's, and it's like, you know, that, that we don't know, you're just going to keep following that fun and that thread and who knows what, where it'll be in three years or five years. Right. And that's, that's, what's exciting. Exactly. Um, so yeah. So I mean, the, those big things of, uh, yeah, you saying yes to something that was calling to you. And I've had other people go, oh, I'm too old for this. or I'm too old for that. Or I'm too old. to. I'd like to learn how to do this, but I'm too old. It's like, you know, I, I, one of the things I said in my book is uh, this, this entrepreneur guy that I met uh, was taking helicopter lessons. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. And he's like, he's always doing something new. He goes, you know, I got this philosophy. He goes, if you're, if you're ripe, if you're green, you're growing. If you're ripe, you're rotten. You know, a piece of fruit, ah. when it gets ripe, you better eat it because it'll, it'll, it'll banana or avocado. It's a few days later, it's gross. And so he's constantly trying to be green and learn and do something new to, to keep, to keep that, that freshness and growth. Um, so yeah, so you're not too, you're never too old until we check out, you know, like try it, do it, say yes. Uh, and then you don't know where that'll, that, where that'll lead you. And when you have adversity, it, if you're, you don't know what someone's feeling on the inside. So you see if some, even someone's got a strong face and a brave face and they're laughing or joking, you know, it doesn't mean it's not hard for them. Uh, and yep. then you sought, you sought out and took advantage of the resources that were there. And, and that's, that's awesome. So, I agree. Yeah. You know, I think Carlo looking at how you found improv and and people right now are like, geez, is that all that guy talks about is improv? It really, but it, for me, it really is like a lifestyle. It really is the center of what makes me happy and how I operate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you went in looking at a social thing, but you got laughter therapy out of it. You got connection out of it. For a lot of people, and this also goes back to what you just said, which is uh, trying something new. Mm-hmm. Uh, you yes-handed yourself and said, all right, I'll, tr- I'll try this. 
which ties into the great improv quote of um, the scene begins the moment you step out of your comfort zone or your life begins the moment you step out of your comfort zone, right? Like, yeah. people are like, oh, but I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm scared. And it's going to be weird. I mean, well, first of all, who cares? Because in improv, we all support each other. Uh, and we're all there just to have fun. Like as long as no one's being malicious, yeah. Nothing. Who cares? You're going to try something, and you're going to challenge yourself in a different way. You might make new friends, and so everybody should take an improv class. And going back to what your friend said about helicopter, I totally think people should at least do an introductory flight to learn about flying, even if they're not qualified. You can still go up and do a discovery flight and be in the passenger seat and grab the controls with somebody else and see what that's like. So cool. Two things. Uh, I don't. I don't know if you know the story of how I, I. I got Mike McGuire was the reason I started improv, mm-hmm. and I was. I was literally sitting on my. I told you when I'm depressed or sad, I play video games. I was literally sitting yeah. on the couch playing Skyrim, killing dragons for I don't Great know game. how many hours I had been doing this. And he used to call me all the time when I when I was married, asking me to go to stand up shows or whatever. And it's just not something that fit in with my life. I just I just knew to say no because I knew I didn't want to. <laughs> go ask, go ask and be told no. <laughs> so I was like sitting there with the phone and he asked me and I was formulating reasons to say no. And then I'm like, wait a minute. I, I can say yes to this. I didn't know what improv was. I had no idea. And I'm like, and I, then I had this sort of out of body experience where I'm looking at myself sitting on the couch. I'm like, you're never going to meet anybody sitting here doing this. And I went, Okay, so pick me up. We went and saw a show at the Tin Can. I don't know if you remember that place. Yeah. And uh, I was like, I don't know what that is, but it's cool and interesting. And I um, and so he started- You had never seen improv at that point? No. Uh, not even whose line is it anyway. I, I had no what? idea what it was. I, I don't wow. know. Well, I was, I was married and little kids and working and doing my thing. And I had no idea what it was. And I watched that show and people making up stuff and doing time travel and coming out right. in the audience. I was like- I don't, was it short form or long form? It was long form. It was when Mike was doing classes at the improv shop. So he his his student team did a wow. show, and then the teachers Andy and John Langan and all those guys on uh, Ted Dangerous, they did they they're just incredible. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, so then Mike started his stuff at the the Brentwood Community <laughs> Center, which is where I think yeah. I did your first class. Center, yeah. Uh, and then uh, he's like, you should try the improv yeah. shop. So I. That, that's what it is. But so yeah, I, I said I said yes. I had no idea what it was. I said yes just just to getting off the stupid couch. I said yes, and then that's why we're talking. It's like, what's all the things of it's a million things have spiraled from that from that yes, right? Um, so yeah, um, and then uh, the pilot thing. My my uncle had a plane when I was a kid, a Cessna, like a four seater, yeah. and. Sure. Uh, he he we, he lived in San Ramon, but he had a place up in the mountains in Trinity Alps. And there was time like it was a two-hour flight, so we would once he got up and we were away from everything. Sometimes he would just tell me which which uh, like gauge, what heading to go towards. Yeah, he would head here, out. stay at this level, whatever, and then he'd let me fly for a while. And uh, I was probably 14, 15 years old. And there was one point I looked over; he had fallen asleep. I was so scared. I was like, 
<laughs> but I guess I did everything he told me, and so we didn't. I stayed in the right direction and the right altitude, and uh, I wasn't, you know, I didn't land it. But <laughs> but it was a neat experience. So I was just echoing what you're saying. Like that was, if that's all I ever do, it was it was a fun. That was a fun, cool experience. So you need to go back and get your private pilot certificate. It's so people think it's so hard. Come on, man. Six months and maybe seven thousand, eight thousand dollars. Wow. You know, if you could fly twice a week and just go and challenge yourself. Yeah, yeah. And for the ladies out there, because I'm such a big aviation nerd and advocate, uh, if you are a female, uh, the 99s have free flight training scholarships for women. So wow. The 99s. That's that's Amelia Earhart's organization. Also, Women in Aviation International. Uh, if you're a kiddo, if you're a young person between the ages of 12 and 21, you have Civil Air Patrol's cadet program. If you want to get involved in that kind of stuff, it's like, um, you know, awesome Air Force leadership style program, uh, even for adults, too, because, you know, we always need more volunteer members. So cool. So, yeah. Way yeah. to serve your country and your community. Yeah. Volunteer. That's what's cool about you. Like you've got such a deep resume of pilot, medic, comedian. Uh, yeah, you've done I, you've done a lot of neat things. And like, I'll I'll post some of the stuff on the on the thing too. Like you hosted like MTV Spring Break, and yeah. did I see where you drove the Wiener Mobile for a while? That's yep. Okay. I, I, yep. <laughs> and then I had my American flag car. For a long time, that CBDC painted the honky mobile. I drove that thing forever. <laughs> of course, you did. <laughs> That's, I, you know, life is uh, life is variety, right? Like, yep. how, what kind of different? And I guess maybe because I was trying to like do everything I could. There was actually a point in my life, Carla, where I said, "I'm going to get every single certificate that I can." So my FCC amateur radio license. Uh, I went to like go learn how to do uh, forklifts and uh, scissor lifts and get that certification. I mean, just random. Yeah. yeah. Random. That's so cool. Well, uh, well, before we wrap up, we've hit on some really good lessons. Is there one? Is there something we missed that was like a bedrock for you in not only all the just all the things you've said yes to in in, in moving to LA and starting a career and then. And then there's to struggle and fight with cancer. Is there something that we missed that that's important? You know, as far as, as far as the lesson, I guess I'll follow back on this, uh, another tenet of improv that I learned from who is my, considered, you know, my improv mentor and one of my best friends, Bill Cott, also from St. Louis. Uh, Bill, Bill had a great saying when I was studying with him, which is bring a brick, not a cathedral, bring a little bit of information not the whole thing. And I need to remember that right now as I am the fattest I have ever been. Like I'm in the most pain physically I have been in a long time because I gained so much weight, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and I just got to get over. And now that I'm aware of it, I need to challenge myself because I'm thinking, holy crap, how on earth am I going to lose all these pounds? Right? Like, this is going to be a lot, but I need to remember what we learned in improv, which is Hey, bring a little bit. Hey, let me step out on stage and have one little thing. In other words, let me just walk a half a mile. Right. And then the next day I challenge myself and I add more on onto that and I do two miles and eventually I'm walking all the way around Italy and then eventually I get hungry again. There you go. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> beautiful. Beautiful. And I know, yeah, I know like you're, you're a, a focus driven person. So whatever you decide to do, I know you'll do. So, um, 
this was this was exactly as fun and uh, engaging and helpful as I knew it would be, as as our conversations always are. And I appreciate you being willing to do this and, and share it with everybody that wants to listen. Absolutely. If there's any educational theater association members, thespians out there, high school students who are thespians, or if you are a theater teacher yourself, you can hit me up on the Educational Theater Association uh, forums if you are interested in having me come for free to volunteer and teach an improv workshop for your students. And if any veterans out there, look up Veterans in Media and Entertainment if you want to get involved in front of or behind the camera. Perfect. And if there's anything else, uh, that, uh, just let me know whatever you want to have posted on the on the page. <laughs> cool. Yeah, no, like yeah. any any other ways people for people to get a hold of you, just let me know and we'll post all that stuff. Sure. So, but uh, very good. Well, BJ, thank you so much for joining me. I really, really appreciate your time and your, uh, your again, your vulnerability and openness to sharing all this stuff because I know it'll be helpful for people. Thank you, Carlo, for letting me be vulnerable. I'm now going to go take a poo. <laughs> You're the best. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Love you, man. Love too. Okay, everybody, that was a wrap for my episode with BJ Lang. And I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I've known BJ for a long time, had a lot of conversations with him, a lot of interactions with him, and I've heard and seen bits and pieces of the story with him and from him and through social media. But it was so, so great. And I'm so grateful um, to have had the chance to sit down and go through that. There, there was so many things, not only the stories, but his thoughts behind it and his feelings. And he was so open and honest. And I was, um, I'm very grateful for that. I learned a lot. It was, it was interesting to see how many, how many elements of what he went through paralleled with some of my stories and my healing and my growth and my pain. And that's what I'm hoping, that's what I'm hoping to do with this project is um, give more examples for people of, of other journeys and give you more tools to help you along the way with your journey. So thank you, BJ. I hope everybody learned a lot and had as much fun as I did with that. Uh, a couple quick updates. Uh, my audio engineer, Rich Harris, just let me know that there's only two more chapters to go in the editing process for the audiobook. Then I'll listen to it and then we'll send it up to Audible and let it go through their process. So hopefully 60 days that'll be done. That's what I'm hoping. So that would be great. So what would that be? Mid, mid to late May, and it's up and live, which would be another fun milestone for my book. So that is a wrap. Um, again, I hope you learned a lot. I hope you had fun. I hope that you took something from this that will help you along the way and um, maybe encourage you to say yes to something you want to do, whether it's trying improv or taking flying lessons or whatever it is that's calling you individually. So I hope you'll I hope you'll do that. I hope you'll say yes to what's calling you and enjoy your journey. Thank you. 